We're continuing this morning our study in Acts on uh, asking the question of how we engage with our culture uh, for the sake of the kingdom of God. This morning we're going to pick up where I left off two weeks ago in the middle of Acts. We're going to look at verses 22 uh, through the end of the chapter. Have you, do you ever get this question from anybody that knows you're uh, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus? And uh, if, they're, if they're questioning or skeptical or, or not convinced, yeah, ever hear somebody say, you know, Christianity is kind of outmoded for today's culture, isn't it? You know, we live in the 21st century, and it seems like Christianity is it's kind of the, the old superstitious way of life, and, and it needs to be set aside uh, for a more modern way of thinking. Uh, if you've ever encountered that, maybe that has, has been uh, something that's been uh, a good challenge for, and you've jumped right in, or maybe it's been something that's put you off, and you haven't known how to answer, and you might think, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that because the Bible uh, existed in, in, and was written in ancient times and not in modern times. But you have to remember, every generation <laughs> lives in modern times. And Paul found himself in Acts chapter 17 in the school of modern thought, uh, right in the middle of the hub of intellectual thinking in the uh, city of Athens. And so Paul walks around Athens, he sees all the different idols, he sees all the different philosophers debating back and forth, and he jumps right in. And where we're going to pick up in this passage this morning is Paul's conversation uh, with the philosophers, with the Stoics, with the Epicureans, uh, in a place called the Areopagus, which is kind of the, the gathering uh, place in the town for conversation. So, Acts chapter 17, beginning verse 22 in your Bible, or on the screen here, the Word of God. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. In times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. But some, uh, so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among them were also Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning that as we come to, uh, to worship you, that you would empower us to worship you with our minds, with our intellect, with our thoughts. Father, as we sing your praise, we don't want to, uh, to do that 
void of reasoning and understanding which you have given us. You say in this passage that, that you are closer than, than we uh, perhaps are even aware. Father, whatever we believe as we're gathered in this room of this many folks, there, there's all kinds of different beliefs in this room. Father, whatever we might assume or have studied or thought about you, what's most important is that we hear your truth uh, that never changes, that is constant, that can be trusted for all of eternity. Father, we live in an age when, when that seems uh, impossible. The idea that there is actually uh, propositional revealed truth from God. Lord, that, that challenges many notions in our culture today. And so I pray, Lord, as we, as we look at this passage through 21st century Western minds, you are going to, to have to do a work in our hearts and our minds for us to grasp this and to understand your truth. But Father, we trust in that. It's the reason why we're here this morning, not to hear man's words. Man's words are irrelevant. Uh, we're but a blink of an eye and we're gone. Lord, it is only your eternal word that can change, transform our hearts and our lives and give us true life. And it is that for which we pray. Father, forgive me for my sins. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you do when you find yourself in the school of modern thought? Uh, to sum it up very briefly, you, you make sure you continue to think biblically. <laughs> you make sure that as you observe and listen and engage with folks around you and different philosophies and different ideas, that you come back to the foundation upon which our faith is built, which is the Word of God, trusting that God's truth will stand for itself. Doesn't mean you win every argument. Doesn't mean you'll convince everyone. Clearly in this passage, as we'll see towards the end, Paul had a relatively small a group of folks uh, accept his teaching, uh, but it's not how many accept, it's, it's how accurately we share God's truth and the attitude with which we share it. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want to give you five observations along those lines. The first one is this, people are spiritual by nature. If you look at verse 22 through 24, and I've, I've taken some of it out in verses 22 and 23, uh, just to kind of to make sure we get the main point. In Paul's speech, he says, Paul says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. I observed objects of your worship, even an altar with this, this inscription, to the unknown God. And then Paul begins some explanation. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, so on and so forth. Paul assumes he's talking to spiritual people. He doesn't assume he's talking to, to believing people. He doesn't assume that he is talking to folks who know about Jesus. They haven't, they haven't even heard about him yet. This is the first generation of Christians. But he understands something fundamental, and that is this. That within every human being, God has placed part of his DNA, part of his image. You go back to Genesis 1. Let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God has made every person on the planet spiritual. So it's, it's not the idea of spiritual people talking to unspiritual people as if we were better or more enlightened by our own strength and our own wisdom, but rather humbly we understand that as we share Christ with others, it is spiritual people talking together. That gives us great hope. And the apostle builds upon this. He points out to the, to the people at Athens with whom he's speaking, you're already halfway there. 
You're already on the right track. You're asking the right questions. In fact, you've gone so far as to say, in case we've missed the right question, here's an altar to that one too. (laughs) He applauds their seeking. I think many Christians in our day and age, we think about sharing the gospel and we think about having to convince people to be spiritual, and that certainly is not the case. People are already made in the image of God. What we're called to do is to understand that and to share accordingly. So so where does Paul go with that? With that understanding, uh, with that truth kind of locked down, I understand that you're spiritual, I'm spiritual, we can have a common talk. Where does Paul go? The next observation is that Paul makes sure that, that the crowd understands that God has created us to actually know him, to be in a relationship with him. Look at verses 26. In 27, he's speaking of God, Paul continues, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, that they should seek God and perhaps find and feel their way toward, excuse me, feel their way toward him and find him. In other words, God has created people with the innate ability, and I'll come back to that phrase in a minute that, that's bracketed off, to know him and be in relationship with him. In other words, if you go back and you look at the very earliest pages of Scripture, you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and even into chapter 3 when we rebel and we go against God, that, that mankind, men and women, are built for a relationship with God. And even when we, when we ruin that relationship, even when we, we stridently are opposed to it and go the other direction, in Genesis chapter 3, what does God do immediately? He begins restoring friendship that our rebellion destroyed. God has made us to know him. Therefore, the concept of God is not a mystery that's shrouded in darkness. If you've ever had a conversation with a friend that that perhaps is is an unbeliever and you say, you know, let's let's talk for a few minutes about God. What's your impression of God? If you believe in God, what's he like? They don't sit there and scratch their head and say, God, that's not a, what does that mean? I've never, I've never heard of that. I've never I've never thought of the idea of God. It's because of this little thing theologians call common grace. And we've alluded to it in the, in the first uh, point of this text, that we are made to be in relationship with God. That's there for all of us. If you go back and you read Romans chapter 1, you see very clearly Paul pointing this out, that what may be known about God and understood about God has been clear to man. And then he goes on to say, so we are without an excuse. It's a very natural conversation for us to have because God built us that way. Uh, I was reading this week about a ministry called New Tribes Mission. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, It's a group that I've just gotten to know a little bit by reading some of their material. And they are are traveling the world, and they're, they're settling in a variety of different places in the world where there's still very small people groups, pockets of even maybe a few hundred and very remote locations that don't have the Bible written in their language, that don't uh, have the opportunity to engage with the gospel on the same level in which we do. And so they're committed in their lifetime to, to taking the gospel to every nation. I know Anton talked a little bit about that last Sunday. When they got to a, a village in the, in the middle of Papua New Guinea in 2002, they found a very small people group uh, that had not uh, had the opportunity yet to engage with people. Uh, that were coming and sharing Christ with them. And yet, as as the three men that visited them eventually settled down in in that little community with their three families and have lived there now 2013, is the most recent article I read about this, 
uh, and many of those folks are coming to Christ. If you read about this, one of the things they didn't have to do was explain the concept of God. Didn't have to say, now I know you probably have never thought of it this way, but there's, there's some great being out there. They were already there. It, it, was, it was confused, and, and it needed the, the application of Scripture, but it was already there in their hearts. So we need to understand that, that what we're doing is helping people move towards that for which they were created, to be in relationship with God. The third observation in this text is that although we were created, God has created us to know him, we have made God in our own image. Look at verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and the imagination of man. In other words, Paul, remember, he looked around the city, and he saw all the idols, and that led him to say, yeah, you guys are spiritual. That, you're going down the right path, but we got to discuss some things because we've gotten off kilter. We've gotten a little bit out of line here because we've begun to shape God in our own image. And man mistakenly, or maybe even intentionally, might be a better word to use there, makes God in his image Instead of seeking to, to discover the true nature and character of God. In other words, we, we make a God that will serve us, don't we? we? We're looking for the cosmic butler who is at our beck and call, right? I did it this morning. Uh, I got to the office, and as I said, I've been traveling, and I hopped out of the car, and usually I leave my computer, it's a little laptop, but usually I leave it in the office, which I know is a laptop, you're supposed to take it with you, um, but I, I usually live there, but I didn't. And I hopped out of the car, and I've got my McDonald's cup of coffee, and I'm going in the door, and I went, oh, my gosh, I bet I left my computer at home. And I ran back to the car, and as I'm going back to the car, I'm like, Lord, please, 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 because I don't want to go back all the way home and back all, you know, all mile over, mile back. Um, and I opened up the back door, and there on the floor of the back seat was my, was my computer case. And what did I say? Thank you, Lord. All right, okay. Thank you, God, for taking care of that for me. <laughs> Thank you for it. Maybe it mysteriously appeared. Maybe it had been at my house, and all of a sudden it was there. Right? God did what you were supposed to do. Made my day easier. We do it all the time. We make God in our own image. It doesn't have to be of silver or gold as it was in the city of Athens. We've just melted down the silver of gold. We continue to have that as an as a image of our worship, don't we? We still value that sometimes over God. And so what we need to understand is that, that God calls us to a relationship with him. We're created in his image, but we warp it. So we're not starting with a blank slate. If you're sharing your faith with a friend, maybe a neighbor or a family member, or maybe you're here this morning because someone's sharing their faith with you, we're not blank slates. We, we, we don't need to start from scratch. We need to erase the equation that's wrong. We've gone down a wrong pathway. I have a, a really good friend. He goes to Green Tree here. I, I didn't see him this morning, Rick Ewing. He's one of the teaching pros over at Old Warson Country Club. And Rick will, will very patiently a couple times of a year play golf with me. And every time I swing a club with Rick, he kind of just does this. And I keep saying to him, Rick, there, there just have to be clubs out there that have been invented to take care of all this. <laughs> and he kind of shakes his head and smiles. He goes, Tom, what I'd really like to do is just, you know, spend some time actually fixing your swing. I'm like, Rick, I got, I'm 54. It'll take you two, three years to do that. I lose all those. Now, let's just, let's just come on. There got to be some clubs out there that'll, that'll work right for me, right? But I'm not a blank slate. I've gotten it wrong. I've got a hitch. I've got a twitch. I've got whatever. And it's not working quite right. 
We have created God in our image. And part of sharing the gospel, friends, is unpacking a man-centered view of God. That God's here to take care of me and I can question his integrity, but he ought never question my decision-making process. He's here to make sure my life goes the way I want it. When you find yourself in the school of modern thought, you find that philosophy very, very prevalent. And we need to be ready to, to acknowledge that. Then the next step in the conversation is to, to begin to correct that by saying we need to understand very clearly that, that God wants to be in a relationship with us. He's establishing a relationship with us, but he reveals himself to us through the Lord Jesus. Look at verses 30 and 31. Paul begins to intercept, or excuse me, begins to introduce this concept, this teaching of the Lord Jesus. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. In righteousness, in other words, without a mistake, when God judges the world, he won't get anybody wrong. He'll get it exactly right. By a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I've written down here in the notes that God understands our sins, our limitations, but he reveals himself to us in a way that we can understand. He understands that that we won't naturally flock to him without a clear pathway, and he provides that pathway. If you go back and you read the Gospels, you go back and you look at the life of Jesus, and you look at the, the first sentences out of Jesus' mouth in, in most of the Gospels as he begins to teach and to preach, what does Jesus say? Same word that Paul says there in the second line, third line over, repent. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What Paul is doing is simply taking the words of Jesus, God in the flesh, and he's bringing it to a new audience. And he's saying, here's how God calls us into relationship with him, to repent of creating God in our own image and of, and of, of making our own way and believe in this one who he has raised from the dead. Therefore, we too may have eternal life. The apostle simply picks up where Jesus left off and he continues to share the truth of the gospel that you are created with a spiritual part of your being that God is desiring that you be in relationship with him he's created you that way in his image that God has allowed in patience the mistake to be made but not without correction Paul says there, there's a time where, where ignorance could perhaps be excused, but no more, because God has directly spoken into history. If you want a cross-reference for this, go to Hebrews chapter 1, the first few verses. In the past, God spoke to us, our forefathers, through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through the image of his own son. God has stepped into history physically and has purchased our salvation through the cross of Christ. And that is our message. We can be engaging, we can be kind, we can be compassionate, we ought to be all of those things, but we cannot get off message. God's mercy comes through Jesus. There are no alterations, there are no substitutes, there are no changes to that. And if we get that message wrong, if we change that message to be something other than Jesus, we do great spiritual damage to the people around us. I mentioned to you that I've been traveling a lot the last week doing some things in our denomination and our group of churches around the country. Every once in a while, I, I go to do some of these things. And I got on the plane in Detroit on uh, Thursday morning, 
and I was going over to Kansas City. And I, I was flying uh, in, uh, in a section where you got a uh, drink coupon. You get a free drink, right? And it's 7.30 in the morning. Now, I'll have a glass of wine every once in a while. I'll, I'll have a beer after I cut the grass on a hot sun, summer afternoon. I'm not a teetotaler. And if you're looking for a church where the pastor is, uh, I, I can't, uh, can't get you there. But uh, 7.30 in the morning is a little early for me. <laughs> and so I'm getting on the plane. I'm thinking, well, I don't want to waste this, right? I'm a good Midwesterner. You can't waste anything. And uh, they can't turn the paper into fuel, so I'm like, well, what can I do with this? So I go to the flight attendant. I say, hey, maybe later on today there'll be somebody who gets on the plane that's a little tired, and maybe, you know, you could cheer them up by just, you know, giving this to them for free. And she's like, oh, that's so nice. And I sit down, and then I start to read a book. And all of a sudden, uh, after the plane's taken off and we're about halfway over, I hear her talking to a woman about two rows up pointing to me saying, it's that nice man who bought you this drink. Why should I be surprised? <laughs> I mean, really. Great intentions gone really bad. Anybody drinking at 7.30 in the morning? That's, that's, that's probably a struggle. And I'm not being critical that the person could, you know, a lot of reasons for that, but that wasn't my intention. And sometimes in our intentions, we water down the gospel. Sometimes in our intentions, you know, this idea that God is going to judge the world with righteousness, you say it to people and they go, well, well that, that doesn't sound fair. How, how do I know he's going to get it right? How, how do I know he's going to look at me the correct way? And, and we're tempted to say, well, you know, don't worry too much when we should say, you know what, you're asking exactly the right question. You have a serious problem with God. You've rebelled against God. He's going to judge you for that. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Everybody will give an account. And that sounds harsh, but it's the most loving thing we could say to people because the follow-up is, not I'm right there with you. I am under God's judgment. I got nowhere to run or hide. I don't get in because I'm a pastor. It's only through the shed blood of Christ. Friends, we cannot alter the message. The gospel needs to be proclaimed as God revealing himself to us graciously through the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And my fifth observation in this, this passage is simply that the, the gospel is patiently proclaimed. And the key word up there is really patiently. So when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. You know, you got to be kidding, Paul. Come on. But others said, well, let us think about it. We'll, we'll get, why don't you come back tomorrow or next week or whenever we're getting together, and we'll keep the conversation going. So you've got, you've got on the one hand, oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Let me think about it. And so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him, and believed, and among them was Dionysius, the Areopagite. you got to really work hard to get that right in one sentence. And a woman named uh, Damaris. And you don't hear anything else about them in Scripture. That's the only place they're, uh, they're mentioned. But you get the idea that Paul's like, okay, great conversation. He's starting to walk out, and maybe a few people come up next to him and grab him and say, hey, wait a minute. We, uh, that sounds right. We, we want to believe that. So you have every, every part of the spectrum in that little encounter. You have people that reject it. And kind of laugh at it. You have people that say, I want to think about that. I'd like to talk more. And you have people that go, how do I sign up? And isn't that the experience that we have whenever we share our faith with another? There's, there's mixed reaction. There's scoffing. There's contemplation. And there's faith. I ran into a buddy of mine that I hadn't seen in several years. Uh, and, and we used to do a lot of hockey stuff together. And our, our kids are now grown. And I, I, literally, I don't think I've talked to him probably four years. And we saw each other, and we shook hands, and we kind of hugged a little bit, and we were laughing. He said, so are you still, you still teaching that Jesus nonsense? 
a big smile on his face. And I said, I said, absolutely. Are you still rejecting the love of God in Christ? <laughs> and he went, what? <laughs> no, he didn't because we've had that conversation lots of times. I'm like, and you know what? Then we talked about our wives and our kids. We have grandkids now, so I talked about my grandkids. I didn't take my Bible and smack them in the head with it because you know what? That's God's time. Not to smack him in the head with the Bible, but to, 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 to bring him to a place where he considers the claims of Christ. I don't have to panic over that. I don't consider myself a failure in, in sharing the faith with him because he hasn't come to Christ yet. Some of you are sitting here. I led you to the Lord. And that was by God's grace, not by my power. It's up to the Lord to, to move in those times. And so there's a patience that's called upon for the, for the green tree spiritual family as well as every believer to be a faithful witness to be okay with the different reactions but keep sharing the truth if you look at Athens if you look at this result let me back up a step if you go to a lot of other places where you in Acts and you read about Paul's um, preaching lots of people come to Christ there are different places where in the first time Peter ever preached a sermon you know 3,000 people come to faith in, in, in one sermon it doesn't always work like that in fact it rarely works like that unless your name's Paul or Peter or Billy Graham Typically, it's somebody having a cup of coffee with somebody else. And Paul shares a gospel, and you have two people mentioned, and then a few others. So, I don't know, maybe a dozen. Paul could have gone home and said, man, that was, that was a bad day. <laughs> I've done a lot better than that. I'll have to work harder. I can't believe he would have thought that. He simply would have kept his eyes fixed on the, wor the word that God had given him and continued to share the gospel. This is only part of the way through the book of Acts. Paul has a lot of life and ministry ahead of them. And Lord willing, you and I have the same. How about at Green Tree? Are we willing to be patient in sharing the truth with others? The folks in New Guinea, I mentioned the first conversation they had was in 2002. And, and the first time folks really became, uh, began coming to Christ was in 2008. Six-year period there of faithfully proclaiming the gospel. Most of the time people go, on, that's interesting. We've got to think about that. How do you apply this passage of Scripture? Very briefly this morning, I want to give you three applications. The first thing is this. we got to remember it's not an us versus them type of situation. So many uh, of us as disciples of Jesus see those who don't believe in Christ as the enemy, and they're not. There are other spiritual folks who are, who are still in spiritual darkness, and we must not preach at people, but encourage them through our words of, of truth about Jesus to exercise their spiritual intuition as they consider the claims of Christ, knowing that, that the Holy Spirit can work in people's hearts for change, and we'll do that, transforming lives to put faith in Christ. But, but we stand in the way of the Holy Spirit when we say, it's, it's me against you. Instead of opening our arms and saying, let us tell you about a Savior who so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. Second application of this text is we must be students of our culture and God's word, one without the other, is fruitless and seeing people come to salvation. We study the Word of God, friends, and that's what we walk out of here in the morning and go, man, now we're, we're smarter about the Bible, period. No, we don't put a period there. We study the Word of God and we worship God with our minds and our intellects every Sunday so that God can take those seeds that He's planted in our lives and use them to build His kingdom. So you're probably going to run into somebody this week that doesn't know Jesus. What are you going to do with this Word? I'm probably going to rub shoulders with somebody who doesn't know Christ? How am I going to apply this word to that relationship? I need to understand where my friend's coming from. 
I need to understand why he's so critical about Christianity. If I'm going to try to find a way to share successfully with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we must understand the world around us as well as God's word. And the third application this morning is we must make the most of every opportunity, large or small, it doesn't really matter. Paul never went back to Athens. If you go back and you look at that, that map in the back of your Bible that has all of Paul's missionaries' journeys, and they're all different colors, there's only one color through Athens. O- only went there one time. So only a handful of folks got saved, but he made the most of it. You and I don't know how often we're going to interact with someone for the, for the cause of the gospel. I don't know if, if there's a person I'm going to talk to that, that this is my only time with them. It might be the, the 50th time I've talked to him, but I might die tomorrow. I don't know. But am I willing to prayerfully and humbly make the most of every opportunity, praying that God would use me to build his kingdom, uh, even in the school of modern thought? Let's pray together. Uh, Before I close this in prayer, I just want to give you a moment to pray silently, and and I would uh, just ask you to pray that God would open your heart to what he is teaching you this morning, and I'll close this in just a second. Father, we thank you for your word uh, and the power therein. Father, as uh, we sat and silently prayed, I I would think that some would have a particular person in mind for whom they've been praying, just asking they would have uh, maybe one more opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. Lord, perhaps some are praying that they're just so frustrated that that, uh, it seems like those conversations never go well for them. Others may be praying, Lord, I'm I'm afraid I I need... um, some courage because talking to somebody else about Jesus seems really scary. Father, some are here and saying, Lord, I, I don't even know who you are, what, what you're all about in this person of Jesus. Father, I thank you that you hear every prayer. There's no mystery to you on our thoughts, our anxiousness, our joys, our sorrows. Father, you have called uh, those of us who are disciples of Jesus to, to be your witnesses to every corner of the world and in every culture of the world. And so, Father, help us to to know our culture well and help us to uh, look for ways provided by your Holy Spirit, standing on the truth of your word and the shadow of the cross of Jesus to present that beautiful, gracious, amazing salvation of which we sang this morning to any that you would bring across our path. For your glory, for the growth of your kingdom, we pray in your name. Amen.